Welcome to Her Story Sessions. I'm Brittany, a woman on a mission to learn more about women throughout history and to share it all with you. If you like the show, be sure to follow me. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Her Story Session and can be emailed at herstorysessionspodcast at gmail.com. Today, I wanted to talk about something that affects every person that is able to become pregnant across all of society, the ability to choose if or when to have a child and the access, or lack thereof, to contraceptives. People have been trying to prevent pregnancy for thousands of years and have tried plenty of methods, some which worked, but until modern contraceptives were made, most didn't. There were plenty of reasons someone wanted to prevent having a baby. In medieval Europe, Childbirth was dangerous, with one in three women dying during their childbearing years, and one in four children dying within their first year. Women that had children out of wedlock would also be shunned in many cultures, as would the child. Some just didn't have the resources to care for any more children. As far back as 3000 BCE, some ancient societies, like in Egypt, began to make condoms from things like fish bladders, animal intestines, and linen sheaths. Rubber condoms weren't invented until 1855, and the first ones were much different than modern ones now, being much thicker, and they would be washed and reused. In Mesopotamia and Egypt around 1850 BCE, there are texts explaining how to use pessaries, which were mixtures of substances or objects that were inserted in the vagina to act as a barrier. Mesopotamians used small, round, smooth stones. Egyptians would use mixtures that included honey, acacia plants, and crocodile dung. Acacia does have spermicidal qualities and is still used as an ingredient in spermicides today. One source stated that the low pH level of the dung may actually have made it somewhat effective. A plant called silphium was popular with ancient Greeks and Romans, although it only grew in a small area off the coast of modern-day Libya, and its popularity led to its extinction, so we can't test it for effectiveness today. Greeks would have also used olive oils or cedar oil. Lemon juice or lemon halves were also used, and the acidity may have made it partially effective, but it would have been uncomfortable to say the least. Many other plants were also used, either taken orally or used as a pessary, including Queen Anne's lace, which is still used widely today in India. Many of these could be dangerous or toxic, and Queen Anne's lace can be toxic if too much is ingested. Hippocrates suggested women drink copper salt dissolved in water, claiming it would prevent pregnancy for a year. This was a poisonous option, too. There's also the withdrawal or coitus interruptus method, aka pulling out, which was probably the safest and most effective method in ancient times, although that's not a guaranteed method either. In the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church condemned birth control as immoral and sinful, and still does. Women still sought it out. Usually, it was some sort of herbal potion from midwives. But since most of their knowledge was passed down orally, we don't know the specifics of what they used. Many midwives and healer women were accused of being witches and using forbidden knowledge given to them by the devil. Many were burned at the stake in the 16th and 17th centuries, and their knowledge was lost with them. It was also believed that exclusively nursing their babies for the first six months could help prevent ovulation for the mother during that time. In medieval Europe, high-ranking women saw nursing as below them, and it was delegated to lower-ranking women called wet nurses. There was also pressure on higher classes to produce as many heirs as possible, so they would want to be able to conceive again as soon as possible and avoid that break in between. In colonial America, white slave owners would, quote, coerce reproduction in the enslaved population. 
The women created medicines based on African folk medicines in an attempt to counter this and continued this through the American Civil War. In the early 1800s, American women had given birth to an average of eight children, the highest birth rate in the world at the time. By the late 1800s, this had dropped to an average of three. Many religious and political institutions warned about the physical and moral dangers of family planning. In the 1840s, many states banned the sale or use of contraceptives. In 1873, the Comstock Act criminalized using the Postal Service to mail what was considered obscene articles or literature of immoral use. This included any type of contraceptive and abortion-inducing substances or information on them. Before the 1800s, contraceptives and abortions were legally attainable, although not all methods were safe or effective. Margaret Sanger, born Margaret Higgins, was born around this time, on September 14, 1879, in Corning, New York. Her mother was a devout Roman Catholic Irish woman, and her father worked as a stonemason. She was the sixth of 11 children and lived in poverty as a child. Her mother was just 50 when she died because of the toll that the many pregnancies had on her body. Margaret became a nurse, attending Claverack College in Hudson River Institute in 1896 and completing the nursing program at the White Plains Hospital in 1902. She also married William Sanger in 1902, and they moved to Hastings, New York, and had three children together. The family then moved to New York City in 1910, where they met several activists and intellectuals of the time. There, Margaret became a member of the Women's Committee of the New York Chapter of the Socialist Party and participated in women's labor protests. She believed that, quote, enforced motherhood is the most complete denial of a woman's right to life and liberty. She wanted to do something to end women's poverty and believed that being able to control how many children they had was crucial to that, but it was illegal to distribute any information on contraceptives. So she worked as a visiting nurse, going to poor immigrants' homes who usually had large families, and with the mother suffering from health issues caused by too many pregnancies, miscarriages, or botched abortions, they had attempted themselves in desperation. Many also asked what the secret was, assuming higher-class educated women like Margaret knew how to avoid pregnancy. Margaret decided to make it her mission to share contraceptive information with the women and to get the Comstock Act repealed. Margaret was actually against abortion and believed that having contraceptives widely available so these women wouldn't get pregnant in the first place would help solve the issue. In 1914, she coined the term birth control, and she launched The Woman Rebel, a monthly newsletter advocating for it. Five of the seven issues were suppressed by postal authorities, and she was charged with violating the Comstock Act, and she fled to England for a year. She had also been working on a 16-page pamphlet titled Family Limitation, which contained detailed and precise information and graphic descriptions of various contraceptive methods. In 1915, her husband, although now estranged, gave a copy of this to the representative of Anthony Comstock, the politician the Comstock Act was named for as a way to attract attention to the issue. He was tried and convicted, spending 30 days in jail, but it got the attention he wanted. Margaret herself gained attention when she came back to England to stand trial. Her five-year-old daughter died unexpectedly, and the public, having sympathy for her, pressured for the charges against her to be dropped. She did not stop in her mission, though, and opened a birth control clinic in Bronzeville, Brooklyn. Just nine days after opening, she was arrested and ended up serving 30 days in jail. Her arrest attracted a lot of media attention and affluent supporters that would later fund her work. 
She appealed for her conviction and lost, but her appeal ultimately led to a ruling that physicians could prescribe birth control for medical reasons. This created a loophole, which Margaret took advantage of, to open another clinic in 1923, staffed by all female doctors and social workers. Margaret had divorced William Sanger several years earlier and in 1922 remarried, this time to James Noah Slow, an oil tycoon, but still continued her work. She had started publishing the magazine Birth Control Review in 1917, which aimed to educate the public about contraception, which ran until 1929. She also founded a precursor to Planned Parenthood, the American Birth Control League, in 1921 to gain support for birth control. She went a step further in 1929 and formed the National Committee on Federal Legislation for Birth Control to lobby Congress for legislation that would allow doctors to prescribe birth control without the need for a medical reason. She was met with resistance from both doctors and the Catholic Church, but all of the efforts she had made over the years eventually prevailed. In 1936, the U.S. Court of Appeals ruled that doctors were allowed to prescribe birth control. Three years later, there was almost 400 community-based and state-sponsored birth control clinics across the country. The American Birth Control League also joined with other national groups to create the Birth Control Federation of America, which changed its name to Planned Parenthood Federation of America in 1942. In 1948, Margaret helped found the International Committee on Planned Parenthood, which became the International Planned Parenthood Federation in 1952 and was soon the world's largest non-governmental international women's health, family planning, and birth control organization, and Margaret served as its first president until she was 80. Despite her age, in 1950, Margaret began to organize support for research into oral contraceptive. It was controversially tested on first patients at the Worcester State Psychiatric Hospital in Massachusetts and then on poor women in Puerto Rico. This led to the creation of Enovid, nicknamed the pill, the first oral contraceptive that was approved by the FDA in 1960. In 1965, it was ruled by the Supreme Court that married couples had a right to privacy that included the use of birth control. Unmarried women wouldn't be able to get it until 1972. The Comstock Act had finally been overturned the year before, nearly a century after it was put into place. Birth control would continue to evolve and new forms would be introduced, with the first IUD being approved by the FDA in 1968. The pill's hormone levels would be drastically reduced from the original levels because of the high risk of blood clots, heart attacks, strokes, and cancer associated with it, making it much safer. The first morning-after pills, Previn and Plan B, were approved in 1998 and 1999, respectively, although they wouldn't be approved for over-the-counter sales until Plan B was approved for it in 2006 for those 18 and older. In 2013, it was approved for over-the-counter for those under 18. Margaret Sanger was willing to talk to anyone that would listen in an effort to gain support and awareness for birth control and had allied with the eugenics movement, although she disagreed with their focus on limiting racial and social class populations. But she did believe that birth control could be used to limit birth defects. Privately, she wrote in letters of her sadness at the aggressive Nazi eugenics program, but rather than speaking out publicly against the discriminatory rhetorics of the eugenics movements, she looked the other way, and this tarnished her reputation greatly. In July of 2020, Planned Parenthood of Greater New York announced that they would be removing her name from the headquarters on Bleecker Street in response to the criticisms of her promotion of eugenics. 
She also once spoke at a women's auxiliary of the Ku Klux Klan in New Jersey, although she later wrote in her autobiography that she found the whole thing weird, and she said she had the impression that they were all halfwits, and so she spoke to them in simple terms like they were children. She did work with the African-American leaders and professionals that saw a need for birth control in their communities. When James Hubert, a social worker and the leader of New York's Urban League, asked her to open a clinic in Harlem, she secured funding and did so, staffing it with all black doctors and nurses. Margaret would not tolerate bigotry among any of her staff or at any clinics, and also did not tolerate any refusal to work within interracial projects. Her work with minorities earned her praise from Coretta Scott and Martin Luther King Jr. Margaret Sanger did a lot of good, but she wasn't perfect. She did everything she could for her cause, even if it meant turning a blind eye to the terrible views of those she allied herself with, and that's something I don't agree with. We shouldn't ignore her contribution to society, but we shouldn't gloss over the not-so-great parts either, and the same goes for other notable figures in history, too. People are complicated, history is complicated, and nothing is ever black or white. Access to birth control has significantly altered the lives of those able to become pregnant. With it, higher levels of education can be achieved and a better economic standing. Having access to birth control under the age of 21 enables those in college to finish their schooling with studies showing those with access to birth control having a lower dropout rate than those without. Being able to space out pregnancies also leads to better pregnancy outcomes, lower risk of premature or low-weight babies, and better family planning leads to significant decreases in child and adult poverty. If you or someone you know needs information or help with reproductive health, sex education, or accessing birth control, Planned Parenthood's website is plannedparenthood.org, and they have a chat service available on there as well as links to download to their app. If you would like to get involved in their organization, they also have more info on their website for that. They can also be called at 1-800-230-7526. The CDC also has information about reproductive health, including related to COVID-19 at cdc.gov backslash reproductive health. That's all for today, and thank you for attending this Her Story session.